Hey everyone, it's Dr. Jimmy. Welcome to episode 97. I am not sure about you, but the part of the country where I live is in a really terrible drought. In fact, we just got about one inch of rainfall and that has nearly doubled our total rainfall amount for the last seven months. Yeah, that means we've gotten a little over two inches of rain since October. <laughs> so most of the farm crops have been disastered, meaning they're not going to be harvested. Um, cattle are being sold left and right because the ranchers don't have enough forage for them to eat. And horse owners are absolutely in a frenzy because they are worried that they're not going to find hay. Um, the pastures are not growing grass. Um, and this is supposed to be our rainy season. <laughs> and we've, we've had very, very, very little moisture to speak of. Um, plus, we've already hit triple digit weather. So it's been over 100 degrees, multiple days. Um, so yeah, things, things are not looking real good uh, for the summer for all of this. So I bring this all up as a way to tee off um, a kind of a forage-related episode. Um, people, you know, are always looking for alternatives to their typical forage sources, um, particularly when we feel like there's not going to be a good supply of hay um, to be harvested during the coming months. So that said, I've been fielding a decent amount of questions about, you know, different forage types um, as people are trying to get their hands on something that is both consistent and hopefully affordable. Um, so this particular episode will be covering TEF, um, but I plan to do a few more episodes um, over different forage sources to kind of help fill in some of these gaps and provide a little bit more information for people who maybe um, are going to struggle a little bit uh, to find some good forage sources uh, this summer and going into fall and winter. But before we get started, I want to remind everyone about the 2022 Equa Summit that's going to be happening next week. Yeah, the coming up fast. The dates are May 25th and 26th. I am an invited speaker. I'm actually going to be talking about the equine microbiome, but there's a whole lineup of really good speakers and really nice topics this year. Um, I know Dr. Tanya Cubitt will be covering the gut-brain axis. Dr. Steve Dern is going to be talking about feeding laminitic horses. Um, there's other experts that are going to be covering things like heat stress and leaky gut. So if you are a feed room chemist listener, I can guarantee that you can find something or that you will find something interesting at the 2022 Equa Summit. And the best part is it is totally free and it's a virtual event. So if I remember right, um, at least I'm pretty sure last year, as long as you were registered ahead of time, you will be able to get access to the recorded presentations um, for a few weeks after the live event. So if the specific times don't work for you, I think that, that both days they are airing like really late afternoon um, through the evening. Um, but if that doesn't work for you, still register, still sign up so that you can go in and watch those recordings um, at a time that's maybe a little bit more convenient. So you can register online at attendequisummit.com and I'll be sure to drop a link to that in the show notes. Um, you definitely do not want to miss this event. So the scientific literature says that one in five horses are at risk for laminitis. That's a problem. 
Okay. So those of you who don't know what laminitis is, um, it's a very serious condition that affects the sensitive lamina in the horse's feet. Okay. So the lamina is the scientific word for the, the soft tissues that basically keep the hoof capsule attached to P3 or the, the coffin bone. Now, when I was in college doing equine limb dissections, it absolutely amazed me at how strong that connection is. So the lamina, it it almost made me think of um, Velcro, right? Like, actually, here, do this. Just go do a Google search. Do a Google image search for lamina hoof, <laughs> lamina hoof, lamina horse hoof. That's a little bit of a tongue twister. Um, so pull that up on your phone or your computer and just take a peek at what it looks like um, on the inside of a horse's foot. And I promise that if you have never done this before, it will be a very enlightening experience. So anyway, the the pink tissue that you are going to see when you pull up those images is called the sensitive lamina, and it can actually be influenced by the NSC or the non-structural carbohydrate content of the horse's diet. So let me put this in different words. Um, Have you ever kicked a horse out onto green grass and one day you look out and you notice that maybe they're starting to get a little bit short strided or they might be a little bit, you know, people will say they're a little ouchy in the front end. Okay. So then you pull them back off of grass and then maybe it resolves or maybe you didn't notice them getting sore in their feet and uh, you didn't notice it early. And so you left them out there um, for, for several days, several weeks, whatever it is. And they were out there long enough that things started to get really bad. And all of a sudden they can't hardly put weight on their front feet. Um, maybe they stand kind of rocked back on their hind end. Maybe, maybe they just flat, like give up and lay down because it's so painful to stand. These are different phases of laminitis. So basically what's going on is the sensitive lamina in the foot are becoming inflamed. Okay. Laminitis, right? The lamina is becoming inflamed. It's getting inflammation. And if it's not addressed, um, the lamina, this, that sensitive tissue that connects the the coffin bone to P3, or I'm sorry, the the coffin bone to the hoof capsule, it will start to deteriorate and it can actually start to detach from the hoof wall. And that coffin bone or P3 can actually start to rotate downward. Okay. This is why, this is why you might hear a vet say something like this horse has rotated slightly. Okay. What they're talking about is that coffin bone moving or detaching from the hoof wall. In the worst possible scenario, the coffin bone can actually fully detach from the hoof wall and rotate so far that it can actually, the tip of that coffin bone can actually kind of fall through that horse's sole. Okay. So that is a very, very serious situation. Um, most likely it's going to be a life ending situation. So this is, this is really important stuff. Um, so kind of back, back to my point and why I'm leading in with this is that the high, a high sugar content in the horse's diet, um, is one of the things that can predispose a horse to developing laminitis. Now, some horses are predisposed to being sugar sensitive or insulin resistant based on their genetics. Um, that means we need to pay very close attention to the amount of sugar that those horses are consuming. And, you know, if 70 to 80% of the horse's diet 
consists of forage, it only makes sense that we actually pay attention to the sugar content in the hay or the pasture that we feed. Okay, so that brings up this whole concept of, quote, low-carb hay. Okay, so I'm, I'm kind of curious how many people have heard the term low-carb hay. Um, so I will be sure to uh, put a post on my social channels of this episode, and I'd, I'd love to start just kind of hear your thoughts and and start a conversation and and I'd love to know how many of you have actually heard the term low carb hay um or if you've not heard it um you know I think uh it'll be interesting to see if different parts of the country come up with different um versions of whether they've heard of low carb hay or not I think as this episode goes on I think you'll understand why I have that curiosity but I would love for you guys to post maybe where you live like what part of the country or world you live in and whether or not you have heard of low carb hay or maybe you've heard of teff hay or this idea that teff hay is low carb hay or that teff hay could be low carb hay okay So when it comes to grass haze in the horse industry, um, the northern regions typically feed cool season grass haze, all right? So things like timothy, orchard grass, brome, fescue, right? These are all all cool season grasses, and they are all very high in sugar, typically. So researchers in the northwest, the northwest United States, set out to investigate a warm season species of grass hay, called TEF. Okay, so T-E-F-F, TEF. Now, the southern regions of the U.S. are real familiar with feeding warm season grass haze to horses, right? So namely Bermuda grass hay or coastal Bermuda grass, right? So warm season grass haze tend to be lower in non-structural carbohydrates or NSCs or sugars, okay? So that's why um, the warm season grasses are often considered, um, quote, safe, uh, to feed to horses that are um, basically, uh, sorry, kind of lost my train of thought. If you're in the South, if you're in the Southern regions of the United States, it's typically considered safe to feed grass hay to horses um, that maybe have a sensitivity to sugar. And the reason that it's considered safe in the South is because the grass haze in the South are generally warm season species. So things like Bermuda grass. Now, the trick here is that when people in the Southern United States purchase grass hay from the North, meaning they're shipping cool season grass hay species like Timothy and orchard grass into the South, okay, all of a sudden feeding grass, quote, grass hay is not um, as safe for those horses that are sensitive to sugar, right? Because they're bringing in cool season grass species to feed. And those cool season species are much higher in sugar, okay? And then just as an added bonus here for you guys, the, the alfalfa. Most people don't realize that alfalfa is actually low in sugar, okay? No matter where it comes from, whether it comes, <laughs> whether it's, it's made in the southern part of the United States or the northern part of the United States. Um, alfalfa is a legume, okay? So it's not a grass, it's a legume. Um, and it's actually generally low in sugar. So it, it would actually be safe to feed from a sugar, you know, a starch sugar content. Um, alfalfa is not ever a concern. Um, no, alfalfa is certainly higher in protein and higher in calories than grass hay. So, you know, you need to balance what you need out of the diet. You know, if, if you are looking for protein and calories or, or if you're looking for, you know, sugar content. So all of that come plays, plays a part. But my point here is that 
you know, this conversation for sugar sensitive horses should really revolve around um, using either a warm season grass hay or alfalfa. Um, cool season grass haze should just automatically be kicked out of the picture. Okay. The cool season grass haze are, are almost always too high in sugar, uh, for these horses that have sensitivities to starch and sugar. So today I am going to discuss one of the more trendy warm season species of grass hay called teff hay. Okay. So this is actually going to be a fun episode because a friend and old college classmate of mine was one of the lead researchers on um, a multi-year study growing TEF in the Pacific Northwest. So of course, I reached out to her to get all the data and the info that I could to share with you guys. And one of Natalie's missions is to educate hay growers around the concept of growing low-carb hay for horses. So if you think about it, hay growers who are good at what they have spent their lives doing, like, like they've spent their lives figuring out ways to make the highest quality hay possible, meaning they're trying to make high-protein, high-energy hay. However... When those things are high, particularly in a cool season grass species, you undoubtedly also get high levels of sugar or non-structural carbohydrates as well. So this idea of growing, quote, low-carb hay is um, a bit of a paradigm shift (laughs) for many hay producers. And so my friend Natalie has really put a lot of effort into um, educating hay producers on how to kind of enter into this niche market and the the things that they can do to um, implement TEF as a forage and exactly how to grow and cut it um, in order to be as low carb as possible. And um, if you continue to listen to this episode, you'll find out that it's not quite as um, simple or intuitive as you might think. So Tef hay originated in Eastern Africa, um, and it has a very thin stem. And one of the things that is nice about that is the thinner or more pliable that the hay stem is, the more palatable it will be for a horse, meaning the more likely they are to like the taste of it, like the feel of it in their mouths. So that is a win um, for Tef. Um, the root system for TEF is pretty shallow. So, you know, one thing that's maybe not in the wind column is that it, it's probably not going to be super tolerant of heavy grazing. So, you know, if you were thinking about, um, you know, like interceding TEF into some pastures where you um, have a fairly high stocking rate of horses for grazing, um, it might not be the best uh, for that. Researchers have found um, when it comes to cutting height of TEF. Okay, so this is, I'm basically going to walk through several things that um, researchers have studied about TEF and what they found out when they studied it. So the first thing that I'm going to talk about is going to be really short and sweet because there really was no difference in any of it. Um, but that is the the height at which it was cut and whether or not that impacted the sugar content or the carbohydrate content in the hay. And so basically what they found was they cut the TEF at one inch, two inches, three inches, and four inches um, above the ground. And it didn't matter which height it was cut at. Um, there was no change or no real difference in the sugar content. So we know that where you set the um, 
the bars or the the swather, you know, the, like whatever height you choose, that's not going to play any kind of role in whether or not that that hay is going to be low carb or high carb, meaning low sugar or high sugar. Um, the next thing that they looked at was using nitrogen as a fertilizer. And what the researchers found was that when TEF is fertilized at levels over 50 pounds per acre, the sugar content actually went down. So basically when they put no fertilizers, so no nitrogen, or if they only put 30 pounds of nitrogen per acre, the sugar content was um, the same. It was, I'm going to call it normal, right? But then when they increased that nitrogen fertilizer content to 60 pounds, the sugar level in the TEF actually decreased significantly. Um, and then it also, they they che- they tested it at 90 pounds of nitrogen per acre as well, just to see what would happen. And the sugar level decreased even more. So basically what's going on is the plant is able to assimilate or use the sugars that it's producing through photosynthesis and put them back toward the plant for growth instead of just like storing up the sugar. Okay. So, so the take home there is basically... Um, the more fertilizer that you put on, okay, the, the 60 pound or the 90 pound per acre rate will actually decrease the sugar content in the forage that is harvested. Okay. Again, this is, this is with TEF, all right? So just keep in mind that everything we're talking about is, can only be applied to TEF. Okay. Don't, don't try to apply all of these findings to, you know, Bermuda grass or, or Timothy or whatever. Like this is only for TEF. Okay. Um, the, the next thing that we looked at was maturity. And this team of researchers found that as the plant gets older, the non-structural carbohydrate content or the sugar content actually increases. Okay. So the plant gets older, the sugar gets higher. All right. That is totally opposite of what normally happens. Right. So usually when a plant gets older and when it actually heads out, the sugar content is at its lowest, but in Tef hay, allowing it to grow to full maturity and head out actually means that the sugar content is at its highest. Okay. This is really important to remember if you are a hay producer or if you are purchasing hay for a sugar sensitive horse, right? So if you are planning to feed teff hay to horses with with needs for low sugar, okay, the hay should be in the boot stage. It should not be fully headed out, okay? Um, now, keep in mind, low sugar, low carbohydrate hay is not the same as low energy or low calorie hay. Okay. So the calorie or the energy piece, um, actually did hold true to what we normally know about hay when they were looking at maturity. So the earlier that Tef hay is cut, the higher the calorie or the higher the energy content. Okay. Um, the next thing that they looked at was the time of day that it was harvested. And they found that this definitely does matter. Okay. So, you know, one, one of the things is like, hay producers, you know, the time that you, that you cut hay. So if, I don't know if any of you have, you know, driven around in the nighttime hours or the early morning hours, and you've seen tractors with lights on out there, um, cutting hay. And the reason that they do this is, is there is 
hay producers are trying to balance like this um, perfect level of humidity and moisture and, you know, trying to optimize the nutritional value of the hay. So they wanted to know with TEF, you know, when is the ideal time to cut it? And what they found was that with TEF hay, you, you don't have to get up at, you know, four in the morning, but you do need to cut it before noon in order to keep the sugar content low. Okay. So if you wait until the afternoon to harvest TEF hay, it will have statistically higher sugar content. So if you're trying to produce low sugar, low carb TEF hay, that hay needs to be cut in the morning uh, before noon. Okay. The next thing that they looked at was the variety. All right. So there are, um, they actually looked at four different varieties of teff grass and they found that even among the varieties of the same species, right, there, there's still a possibility for some to have lower sugar levels than others. Okay. So the reason that I, I bring this up is it's not a full picture. It's not fair to just make a blanket statement about TEF, right? Um, you, you can't just make a blanket statement that says all TEF is, is low carbohydrate or low sugar, right? That'd be kind of like making a blanket statement about horses, right? You can't just say that all horses are fast, right? Well, yeah, all horses might be faster than me, but all horses are not the same level of fast, right? We know that there are differences between quarter horses and thoroughbreds and draft horses, right? Um, so that's, it's kind of like saying that all hay is the same. Um, we should know by now that all hay is not the same, right? You have cool season grasses, you have warm season grasses, um, you have legumes like alfalfa. Okay. So moving back to this horse example, if you break down to a specific breed, like the quarter horse, right? One horse might be bred for speed and racing and running, right? That she may be tall and long and a little bit lanky, right? A little bit greyhoundy looking, um, whereas another quarter horse might be bred to be quick and agile on a cow. They might be really stocky in build and short and compact, right? Well, both of them are quarter horses, but they have very different genetics, which give them very specific and unique skill sets, okay? So the same kind of concept goes for teff hay, right? Different varieties of teff hay will have different benefits. So just be mindful that you don't group all teff hay under one blanket theory, okay? So there can certainly be differences depending on, you know, the species of teff hay that was grown. The next thing that they looked at was the cutting number, okay? So in the Pacific Northwest, um, Natalie mentioned that that generally they only get two cuttings of hay just based on the the length of the growing season and the weather conditions. So in these studies, um, they looked at sugar content in four different locations across Washington and Oregon, and they found that in three of the four locations, the second cutting was lower in sugar. However, there was one location that had a really high sugar content on that second cutting. Like, way higher. And so they started digging into this information. And what they learned was that the farmer whose plots had that higher sugar content on the second cutting. So this one anomaly, the reason that that happened is that he had not fertilized for that second cutting of grass. Okay. So back to what we outlined at the beginning of the episode, you have 
to fertilize TEF with nitrogen in order to keep those sugar contents low, right? So if you are a grower, this is one of the most important things that you can do is fertilize every cutting with nitrogen to ensure that those sugar contents stay low. The next area that was looked at was effects on year, all right? So basically, when looking at the water-soluble carbohydrates, they looked at two different locations over two different years, and they found that the weather in one location in one year was way warmer, and that actually produced the lowest level of water-soluble carbohydrates, right? So so these simple sugars. So I think of this... Um, you know, it's an important take-home message, right? So even if you are looking at hay from the exact same field, from the exact same cutting, it will still be different from year to year, okay? And this is because the weather patterns are never identical from year to year, right? And, And grass actually has a way of adapting to things like, you know, the average daytime temperature, um, nighttime temperatures, rainfall, humidity. I mean, the list goes on. There's, there is no way that all of those things will ever be identical day by day from one year to the next. So that means your hay will always have different nutritional components from year to year, even when it's grown on the same field and you are comparing the exact same cutting right? So second cutting hay in 2020 is going to be different than second cutting hay in 2021 and 2022 and so on, right? You you have to test the hay every single year to know what the nutritional value is. The next thing that they looked at was crude protein. So protein, um, protein is obviously going to be affected by nitrogen fertilization, right? So um, just as a reminder, crude protein is is a mathematical calculation, right? You take nitrogen um, and you multiply it by 6.25 to get to a crude protein percent. Okay, so if you add nitrogen, um, you're you're going to increase the protein content of that forage, right? Um, And so what these researchers found was that 60 pounds of nitrogen per acre was the sweet spot. Um, Going to 90 pounds of nitrogen per acre was not beneficial. Um, So that's, you know, if... If, if, if any of you happen to be in an industry that requires fertilizer right now, you don't want to be putting extra um, nitrogen or any kind of fertilizer on anything because it is just insanely expensive right now. So we know that if you're growing TEF and you want the sugar content to be low, you need to be over 50 pounds per acre of nitrogen. And this research showed that 60 pounds of nitrogen was the sweet spot that gave you good quality, um, good protein content, but then also kept you low on your, your sugar content. So some big takeaways for me on TEF and certainly things that I would consider if I were trying to grow low carb TEF hay. First would be I am definitely going to be fertilizing every cutting, right? That's one thing that we know. The Whether or not you fertilize directly impacts the sugar content. So when you fertilize, you get lower sugar contents. I know this is totally inverse to what you would think. The second thing, I would be cutting my teff hay in the mornings, okay? 
get out there, make sure it's cut before noon. You don't have to get up at three in the morning. Okay. You don't even have to get up at four or five in the morning. Um, just make sure that all the hay is cut before noon. That will ensure that you have low sugar contents. Now, there are a whole slew of other considerations that should be taken into account if you want to grow Tef hay yourself. And, you know, so this, this episode is literally just like the absolute highest of high points. Okay. So don't feel like you listen to this episode and you understand everything there is to know about growing Tef. Um, but if you really want to get into the nitty gritty of it, I encourage you to reach out to Natalie. She manages the low carb horse hay project and actually has a certification program for hay growers, for Tef hay growers. Um, So I will be sure to leave a link to her program in the show notes so that you can get more information um, through the low carb horse hay project and get in touch with Natalie and maybe sign up for one of her certification programs. And then the big takeaways for me on TEF that I would consider from a horse owner's standpoint. Number one, we cannot blanket statement anything about TEF, okay? Under certain growing conditions, yes, it can be low in sugar, but not all TEF is, right? There are variations that happen during the growing and harvesting process that can absolutely lead TEF into being um, as high in sugar as other cool season grass haze. okay? The second takeaway, we have to test the hay, even if it is grown by the same person in the same field and you buy the same cutting every year, you still have to test it, okay? It will never be the same nutritionally from one year to the next. And then the third takeaway, if you live in the Southern United States and you have easy access to other worm season grass species um, like Bermuda grass, it might not be worth the extra money spend or the extra hassle to try to source teff hay specifically, okay? So just remember both Bermuda grass and teff hay are warm season species, which are physiologically designed to be lower in sugar, right? Um, But if you live in the northern United States and you have a sugar-sensitive horse and alfalfa is not a good fit for your particular horse or your particular program, then I would most certainly be searching out um, Tef hay producers. And I would especially be searching out the ones that have been through a certification program or a training process to help them understand how to grow Tef hay in a way that makes it lower in sugar. I hope this episode has been useful, and if you have questions or comments, um, be sure to drop them on the post for this episode on my social media channels. So as a reminder, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram. You can search Dr. Jimmy Equine Nutritionist, that's J-Y-M-E for Jimmy, Um, or you can just type in my handle, which is at Dr. Jimmy, so at D-R-J-Y-M-E. And before I head out, don't forget to go register for Equus Summit. It is happening next week. Oh, and one last thing. If you have an extra minute or two to spare, I would love it. It would absolutely make my day if you would leave me a review of this podcast and maybe throw a few stars my way on a rating.